how do you effectively build a creative team? Do you ever wish life had an undo button? Walking the balance between business and the creative life can be hard. But Matt and Shelby are here to attempt to answer the tough questions, so you don't need an undo. Presented by Made by Things, this is the Command Z Show. And we're back with the Command Z Show. I want to like turn this into like a radio show so bad. <laughs> and I want it to be live. And I want to talk about the weather and the traffic. I think that's really what I want this to be. Um, anyway, uh, we have, and I know I say this all the time, but this time I mean it, uh, an amazing guest on today. Somebody that um, is uh, very, very inspiring to me. Um, and, uh, somebody that I believe can, uh, um, know, answer a really interesting question that I think a lot of people have probably thought about, or maybe not yet, but maybe will soon, if that makes any damn sense at all. <laughs> um, let's see here before I go in. Lacey, are you still there? I am. Yeah. I had, uh, okay. your, your picture is frozen there. So I'm just making sure. Fingers crossed. Um, before we, uh, get into our, our question, uh, Shelby, hey, how's it going? Hey, how's it going? Yeah. Um, my voice is not all here today. Um, yep. South Dakota allergies are kind of, kind of getting to me, but I'm here. So that's, that's all that matters. Nice. So, uh, I'm going to do most of the talking here. No, <laughs> no honestly, nobody wants to hear this. It's okay. Um, Cool. All right. So, Lacey, uh, a little bit more of a proper introduction. I'll start off a little bit here, but I'll, I'll pass it over to you here in just a minute. Um, Lacey, you are the uh, founder and principal of Zoco Design. Uh, you started Zoco in, this is literally from memory right now, what I'm doing. So, <laughs> uh, let's say 2000 and 13. 13. 13. We are almost 10. Look at that. Oh my God. That's so crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, following along with your journey, um, has, like I said, just, it's been incredibly inspiring to me and, uh, you've been a good friend over these years of just sharing any knowledge that you have. And I decided to get you on a podcast so you can talk about these things more publicly. <laughs> um, any, uh, what other, what other things would you normally say in your intro? Oh gosh. Uh, I mean, you covered it right in, in a high level way. So I am the CEO of Zoco, started the company in 2013. We're the UX and product design studio for customer centric software companies. Uh, we've been working over the last nearly decade, building our reputation as champions for human centered tech. So we work alongside internal product teams and bring the customer mindset to every conversation um, and serve those internal teams through customer research UX strategy and product design. And that was your first time ever saying all of that. Oh, right? no, no, no. I've said it many times. <laughs> always in a little different way. But right. It comes pretty natural. That's what, like, I, that's what always gets to me. <laughs> At any time that people like ask me, they're like, oh, like, what do you do? And I'm like, like, depending on like the conversation, I'm like trying to like keep it casual. But at the same time, I'm like, I've, I've rehearsed this. I've said it so many times where I'm like, I don't know. Um, Anyway, so based on uh, all of your experience, I think you are um, 
you have a very unique perspective into one very, very important question. Um, are you ready? I'm ready. You ready for it? Always ready. Okay. The question, the question is, how do you effectively build a creative team? Yeah, so I actually have a lot of thoughts <laughs> on this topic. So you might want to cut me off at some yeah. point because I could talk about this the entire time we're together. Um, so I have learned That's... through experimentation, through trial and error. I wouldn't say everything I'm about to share was known uh, day one of starting Zoco. We've definitely um, tested and experimented what works for us. But I will say I'm a big advocate for putting as much energy into this exact topic as you do your product, your sales, your marketing. Um, even if you're only a 20 person company, if you aren't putting a significant effort into this, you are leaving a ton of opportunity on the table to not only build the culture that you want, but to retain your team and attract ideal fit teammates. Um, but my philosophy on this, Matt, is really very related to how you build products. It's applying product principles um, and applying UX principles to recruiting and to retention. Um, I think where that really starts is in even understanding what your value is as a company, right? Like what is your employer brand value, your brand proposition? Like why would somebody work for you at Zoco versus go anywhere else, especially in the UX space where people are highly in demand and very coveted for the talent that they have? Um, and so we've done a lot of work over the years in identifying what is unique about working at Zoco. What are our values? What stands out? And that comes both from a lot of deep introspection as a founder for how I make decisions, understanding what I value, what I prioritize, but then also talking to our current team and understanding, well, why are you here? And to just ask them, by the way, um, and our team is much more introspective on this topic than I think the most teams are. Um, but to ask just anyone, you know, like, why do you work for Made by Things? Why do you work for this other company? It's not always top of mind. It's not always instantly obvious to the person. So you oftentimes have to guide them to help them find the answer by asking deeper questions, use some uh, user research principles there. But over time, we found the same themes over and over with our team for both what they value and what they prioritize and what they think is special about working at Zoco and what we owe them and promise them as an employer. Um, and those themes really for Zoco boil down to three themes. Those are um, ownership. So this theme of empowerment, how do we make sure that regardless of what layer you work within, how much experience you have, what your title or purpose is, that you have a lot of say in shaping the future of this company that you are empowered to experiment and test and try things, be decisive and find and chart your own path, um, that it's not all predefined for you. So we are, we are big believers um, in that. We're also big believers in mastery. So how does each person here um, continue to build their desire to grow and improve? And not just in their core skill set, right? And not just in being a designer or being a client engagement leader, how do you continue to grow as a human, as a professional, as a peer, as a mentor? Um, how do you become more self-aware? Uh, we owe that to our team to create a culture that really supports that development and supports a bit of ambition to say, like, we want to punch above our weight and continue to improve and never really feel completely settled. How do we stretch ourselves further? 
And the last piece is we owe our team impact. We want to make sure that our work has purpose, has meaning, that we're not just doing executional things and checking boxes, um, that we believe and we see how our work makes an impact. And some of that's really straightforward, right? Like the type of work that we do. If we're doing work with a nonprofit and that's helping them literally save people's lives, that's pretty impactful. But it doesn't always have to be that. It's how do we really help unblock a client, help them meet their individual potential, not just from the company, but from like, what are their goals within their company through the work we're doing together? Um, so we want to make sure that it feels like our work is valued and is, is impactful. And so we saw those things show up time and time again as like part of how we make decisions and part of what we prioritize in our rituals and our operations as a company um, that the team really cares about. And so we've been meaningful then as we scale to keep those intact. And we're still a small team. We're 21 people, um, but we have grown very intentionally slowly because we want to make sure we don't dilute those values that are really important and dilute the type of person that we're looking for and what they value and how they work. Um, and so we think about like, if you apply, um, you know, like audience segmentation principles, we look for people who really care about those things and that fit a certain value set who are empowered, who are very curious, who are deep systems thinkers. And these are all big topics I could get into more deeply. Um, but we know that even if somebody's really talented and has great UX experience, it doesn't mean they're the right fit for our company. So how do we evaluate on those things to find the right fit people? But then once people come in, we think about their employment journey with us and map out their experiences and think, okay, how do we reinforce these things in our rituals? Not just in talking about them, not in just Lacey being a, a mouthpiece for sharing these stories, but how do we actually build practices within our operations, within how we do work that consistently reinforce that these things are important to us, um, which really in a great way makes the whole team a shepherd of making this happen. It's not just leadership that's trying to reinforce and bolster and evangelize these principles. The whole team does. So if somebody starts to slip, if somebody starts to think like, oh, that's, that's not my job. That's not my role. There's somebody else saying, Hey dude, step up, stretch yourself. It should be like, how do we experiment? How do you be empowered? Like, how do you take more ownership of this thing? And that's really cool to see because then it comes from the whole company and not just from a few people. Right. Oh my God. So many things <laughs> that I want to bring up there. Uh, I'm going to start here though, because this is something that, so for me personally, it's something that I'm kind of going through right now where it's like, yeah, you kind of, there's these different levels or phases of starting a business, a creative business and building a team where, I don't know, there's just different things that you're worrying about at different times, but this is something that has, has been on Shelby knows, like it's something that's been on my mind quite a bit is like, okay, well, it's not just about doing good work. It's, there's, there's so much more to it. Mm -hmm. And I have found that it's, it actually takes a lot of my time to, and that's totally fine because I enjoy it, but it takes a lot of my time to kind of shift some of that internal focus to be on some of those things that you're talking about. Um, so my question is, how many people does it take to be able to to have this kind of uh, framework, I guess, yeah. in in a team? Three? I don't know. I mean, I feel like as soon as I started hiring yeah. people, it had to be top of mind, right? Because the the right. risk of not making it intentional, Matt. I know we've all been talking about mm -hmm. the great resignation, been talking about quiet quitting, like all these topics that come up. Uh, employee engagement is constantly a conversation. 
everyone wants to blame that on the state of the world and the state of grander events that are happening in cultural shifts. But in all honesty, like those things have always been there and you have to put energy into this. And if you don't, that's the repercussion. And the stats exist on how expensive it is to find a new teammate, how expensive it is to onboard a new teammate. What is the value of somebody staying? What is the value of somebody being engaged? And I think because, you know, it's, it's almost like um, buying insurance or, um, you know, uh, working with a, an attorney, like as humans, we tend to be more reactive and in the moment into firefighting. We're not always planful, uh, like have a long time horizon to think through, let me prioritize now what's going to get me value years from now, right? We're oftentimes prioritizing the immediate fire in front of us, the next thing, what do I have to do for this project, this client, this next week? And the reality is it's so short-sighted because if you end up with people on your team who don't meet your values, they're going to hurt the experience of people who do. If you end up uh, not being able to find the right person on your team, it just creates so many other ramifications. And then if you have that, those wonderful people and you can't keep them because you're not investing in your culture and your rituals and your operations, because culture is a nebulous word, but like there's so much that goes into it. And the other thing, Matt, is making sure that the culture is authentically yours, right? Like so many times we'll hear or talk to people who will say like, oh yeah, this place has a great culture. And I said, well, what does that mean? A great culture for whom? Like there is no universal single great culture, right? Like there are so many people who would freaking hate working at Zoco (laughs) because, uh, you know, like we have very certain standards. Like if you love consistency, if you love everything being clearly laid out for you, this isn't the place, (laughs) you know, and it won't be regardless of our maturity or or what size we are, because it's not, um, it's not aligned to core values of mastery and experimentation and iteration and improvement. Right. Um, And so I think being really aware of that saves you so much headache. Now I will say it's so hard when you're small because you are basically doing 12 roles, right? Like even at 21 people, um, we just hired our first marketing leader at Zoco, marketing for ourselves, not for clients. We don't do that for clients. Um, And so before that, whose job was it? Other people who already had another job description, (laughs) right? Um, And so like as you scale, you can put more individualized uh, attention to this, Um, but like it's shocking to me, like we have a a VP of people, Natalie, who is a badass, um, and she has really taken a lot more ownership over our culture and our people practice. Um, But I've had questions many times, like how in the world at 20 people do you have a senior leader who that's their whole job? Like, is that, that doesn't seem like a 40 hour a week job. And I'm like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Like Natalie is always so stretched, Um, but it's putting intention into that practice, right? Because like we, as a service, Mm -hmm. we are people like that's all that we do. That's all we have to offer to the world is our brilliant people. And so if we don't put intention and thought and time into applying the same principles we do into our work and the thinking about how do we make this human centered? How do we think about the journey? How do we apply UX and product principles making this successful? then it won't be. And we'll have no one to blame but ourselves. Right. So let's, let's take a couple steps back here. Yeah. Um, I, first of all, I guess um, I, what I've always admired about you is your, it, it is that self-awareness and I don't want to call it a certainty, but it's a, uh, I guess a, a high level of confidence about 
where your ship is going at this moment. Yeah. Um, and to me, that's. I, I, but you're. But at the same time, you still have the humility of saying like, "Oh, no, the ship was going in the wrong direction. We're going this way now." Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think part of uh, one of the hard parts about being a leader is you know how do you do that? I have. I feel like I constantly go to these like pirate analogies. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but anyway, uh, I feel like to do that, to change the ship's direction and to not have mutiny <laughs> is, it's difficult, right? But like at the same time, there's, there's so much work that you put into it that I don't know, to get a team behind the direction that you're kind of going, I, there's, there's an art yeah. to leadership when, when it comes to that. And I, I've always admired that about you. Thank you. Um, you're welcome. That was a little, little <laughs> we'll stop every five minutes to do compliments. <laughs> um, so t- taking it back to uh, 2013, mm-hmm. uh, I'm really curious about when you decide to make that first hire of yours. Mm-hmm. And at what point did a lot of these things that we're talking about right now, at what point did that become extremely important yeah. in what you're in what you're building? Yeah, I would say um, to start with, like I have a little bit of an advantage from one, my background is in human-centered design. So I apply those concepts to everything I do. And I would call myself a systems thinker where I'm thinking about all the different pieces and parts and how they intertwine. So it is a little bit more natural for me to think about that from the beginning. But to be honest, it was somewhat trial and error. Um, Now, I know I am, Matt, more motivated by culture and people than anything else in the business. So I think that's important, too, knowing as a leader, as a founder, what are you motivated by? Because this business would look very different if I was most motivated by scale and dollars. And it's not that those things aren't important. Uh, Without Mm -hmm. them, you can't have a successful team, successful work, and successful culture. But I won't trade on people and culture for those things. I won't dilute that for those things, which means it's a different looking business than if my motivations were otherwise. I mean, I have known that since the beginning, right? So like when I had talked to mentors who had said, oh, Lacey, like if you're doing this great work, you have this great reputation, why aren't you a hundred person company? Why don't you have that as your goal? Why don't you want to be on the fast 50 list every year? I said, well, to be honest, I think doing that has to trade on these other things, at least in my experiments. Uh, If you start to grow too fast, it breaks other systems. There's all this change management to deal with. And yes, we have that at any speed that we grow at. But how do I do that in a way that's really intentional to protect those things? Um, So I do over-index there, which has other funks, of course. Um, But hiring first teammates the first couple years of the business, I will say I did not get it all right. Um, I have known from the beginning kind of what I wanted the culture to be. Uh, but realizing to what degree somebody needs to actually live that was something I didn't necessarily know on day one. So like we had hired somebody who was so immensely talented. Um, but, you know, I'd make the, the joke earlier, like if you want a lot of consistency um, and you're not very flexible, this isn't the place for you. Well, that that's what that person wanted. And so we would end up butting heads all the time where I would be like, well, I know that was the process. But now we have new evidence that says the process should be like this. We should change it. We should test this out. This seems better. All evidence right. says it's better. And right. they're like, well, but this is what we agreed on. <laughs> you know, and so like realizing that push right. pull of how I want to work versus how the other person wants to work. Like you can eliminate so much tension in your life if you work with people who are values aligned. And by the way, it goes for clients too, not just uh, your teammates. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But so while I started the business in 2013, in 2016, 17, um, had kind of a really big moment in realizing how important culture and values were to the, to the business when we lost almost half of our team. So to tell you about that, um, we had to rebuild in a pretty big way then. We had um, at least one person, a couple folks on our team who were doing good work, were great people, are talented people, and just weren't completely values aligned. Um, and I have learned that my own bias is if somebody cares a lot, if they have a high give a shit factor um, and they are smart and are putting in their best effort, I will allow that to overcompensate for other qualities. Whereas if somebody's apathetic, it's very easy for me to say, okay, not here, <laughs> right? Like I need you to care. Um, and so in that season, um, we had some folks that were doing some cultural damage, but they had high give a shit factors. So um, we were allowing that to go on a little bit longer than perhaps it should have. Uh, the negative repercussions that I didn't know at the time, Max, I had never experienced it as a leader, is if you have folks who are kind of breaking those norms for other people on your team who are super culturally aligned, they start to lose trust uh, to think, okay, well, maybe that's acceptable here. Maybe this isn't the sort of place I want to be. Maybe I'm frustrated. And even if now those people are no longer here, it's hurt my experience enough that I've become open-hearted to other opportunities, right? And so, um, like, I think we were maybe a team of eight at the time, eight or nine. So it wasn't, you know, like we had lost 50 people. But on a team that's small, losing, having other people leave alongside teammates um, that had exited, it was a tough time. And it just made me realize, like, okay, I have to be fairly relentless about this, um, and about making sure that this comes in as an expectation coming across the whole team and not just in what we talk about and in our storytelling, but in how we actually operate. Um, and so I think it was actually exactly what needed to happen to get us to where we're at today uh, to kind of show like, what are the repercussions of trading on these things? Um, but it, it, it took kind of getting your teeth knocked in a little bit. To, to have that realization and to see, okay, well, what does this actually mean for us? How do we protect this culture? Right. You know, I, I would have to say in those, in those early years, I mean, again, I'm, I, I feel like I'm still like in those parts right now. So we have a team right now of, let's see, <clears throat> As of yesterday, we are now nine full-time, and thanks. And then we probably have another 10 uh, that are, like, almost full-time contractors. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, yeah, we're between 10 and 20, basically, <laughs> on the day. And um, it's, it's exciting, mm -hmm. but in those in those early years when it's just like either just you or just a couple people it's really for me anyway it was really difficult to not focus on the money aspect of things mm -hmm. and again not not so i can go out and buy a porsche or yeah, any yeah. of that kind of stuff it was because i mean i don't know you take you take a huge risk and you're you're spending your own money in into something because you believe in it um but you realize at a certain point where it's like, okay, if this doesn't start paying me soon, this is going to do a lot of a lot of harm. Um, and it's for me anyway. It was really tough to break from 
okay, we just need to make money. We need to, we just need to make money. That's, that's the most crucial thing that we're doing right now. Um, whereas over the last couple of years now, I've started having that realization myself where it's like, you know what? Yeah, we do need to make that money, but we also need to build a, a team that works together and not just that, but just does amazing work. Now I haven't put all of the philosophy and all of the research into it that you have, which is what I find to be fascinating. Um, but I mean, like you said, though, it is, it's trial and error, I think for pretty much everybody where it's like, okay, that maybe that didn't work that much, or, you know, this person has a problem with this mm -hmm. and are they right? Or are they not? Mm -hmm. Like I have to make those decisions. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's really, t I, I still though, to this day, I find it to be difficult to balance, um, I guess I sort of have like two, two, I don't know, frame of minds where it's like, okay, we're either in survival mode. So 2020 <laughs> for most people, I guess is that that's the case or we're in growth mode. And when we're in growth mode, it's really easy for me to kind of focus on like the team and like, okay, how are we going to make this a better workplace? Mm -hmm. But when we're in survival mode, it's not, yeah as simple it's like okay let's what do we all need to do to keep our jobs right now like like all that other stuff is almost a and maybe this is part of the question i want to ask here but like at times it seems like that's just a nice to have mm. uh, rather than a need to have yeah what would you say to that i would definitely challenge that but i also understand it right um there are ebbs and flows for all businesses and things that are apparent externally and things that are absolutely not apparent externally or even within the, and across the internal team um, but i would say a lot of the fires that most businesses have when they're in survival mode are created from a lack of intention during other times and seasons of the business right so like wouldn't things be easier if that person didn't leave? Wouldn't things be easier if that person was more engaged and giving it their all? Wouldn't it be easier if your clients understood your boundaries and your values? Wouldn't it be easier if, right? And it takes intention in order to make those things happen. Um, that way you're not constantly fighting through change management and not really knowing where to put the effort. Um, but I will say something that has been really helpful for us during, you know, seasons where we're stretched more thin and we're always stretched thin. We're a 20 person company, right? So it's like everybody has um, blended and very important roles, um, but it's have internal champions. So it's not all just falling on one person. And eventually the ideal is your whole team are champions, right? So that they're bolstering this. They feel empowered to take ownership of it. They feel empowered to want to protect it, to want to define what it is and make it great and make it special through all the micro moments of their experience, right? Because it's not just one big effort. It's not just hey, I'm going to facilitate one-on-ones um, -on with each team member over the next two weeks. You should do that. I would advocate for that, but it takes a lot of time. So what are all the other things that you can do? What are the intentional questions you can ask when you're already having a coffee talk or lunch with one of your teammates? What are um, you know, the micro moments and rituals that you can embed that bolster the things that are most important to you? Um, and I think if you don't do them, then you're more likely to be in survival mode more frequently because those things all are interconnected in the system for what makes a business healthy, but it's all things in balance, right? Because if you are spending all your time and energy on team and culture, um, well, that makes other things so much easier. You have to be financially well 
in order to support those things too, right? Like you can't go take a day of service or we did the Zoco Olympics a couple of weeks ago. You can't do that if like, it was so fun. It was so fun. We found out most of our team is very competitive. Um, Not necessarily athletic, but very competitive. Um, But you can't take the time to do those things if you are in survival mode, Mm -hmm. if you are completely strapped for time or cash or whatever else, right? Um, And so it's all things in balance. And we talk about that a lot as a team too. Like, how do you balance the stool? How do you not over-index perpetually in different places? But I also think it's okay to know that there are some seasons where you can put more effort into some things than others, so long as you don't ever lose sight of it and you have other internal champions who can continue to carry the the torch. Right. I I feel like that's one of the most challenging things is, I I think it's easy to want to have good culture in Mm -hmm. your company, right? It's easy to want to do those things and to have uh, just a good theory overall on those things, but you know, to put things in practice, it's definitely a little bit more challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what it is. Like, you know, you can, you can, I don't know, you can take these moments where you're like, okay, you know what? Like, here's what we're going to do kind of to put things in practice. We're going to do these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, for me, I feel like it's almost, at times it takes too much of my time mm-hmm. to, to be able to do those things, but I, I realize how important they are. Um it kind of goes back to one of the things that I did uh, very early this year as, as we were growing the team is I, I understood that everybody's doing multiple jobs on the team. And I was like, I wonder specifically what those jobs are. So I made like a little org chart. Uh, Shelby's seen it probably. I don't know. Um, and it was like, for me, I'm like, you know what? I want to figure out, like I, we're a small company, but at the same time, like, where is everybody working at any given moment? And um, what are the roles that everyone is responsible for? And what are the roles that I'm responsible for? Mm -hmm. And basically it wasn't until doing this where I realized I'm like, I'm literally doing 14 different jobs. Like how, how would I ever effectively do 14 jobs? Like nobody can, like why? I I don't know. Like, so I'm like, at that moment I was like, you know what? All right, it's time to grow our team. Um, (laughs) where I was like okay like you know one of the things that I definitely wanted to be able to focus on was like okay how do we make this a great place to to work Mm -hmm. and like to me that was a challenge that's like okay I want to take that I want to take that challenge on but then there's other things that's like okay well if I'm you know trying to focus on that but at the same time I'm playing role of creative director and people need things and I'm like hold on give me give me an hour I'm trying to work out like how to make this a better place to work. <laughs> like that's, that's one of the things that I, that I struggle with right. is like, I guess getting, getting a little bit more out of the, the, the day-to-day stuff. And I think that's, it's hard for a lot of different reasons, yeah. but I can confidently say that again, having the team of people that, that I have around me, Shelby included in that. Um, it's crazy when you identify the things that you shouldn't be doing necessarily mm-hmm. and you're able to hire somebody that does that thing really well. Yes. Um, it, it can certainly be difficult, uh, especially to start to, to try to figure out what roles to even hire mm-hmm. for. And I guess that's, that's where I'm getting to next in, in this next question here is like, how do you, how do you even know what you need to hire for next? So maybe you brought up this question. Cause I've said this to you before. Um, hi- historically I've hired fairly selfishly. 
um, which is maybe a funny way to think about it in a small team. Um, but I've thought, what is the role that I want? And I've spent a lot of time on that. And I spend uh, a lot of time on that for my other teammates. And also knowing that that's going to change over time. Like somebody might think, oh, I really want to be a people leader. I really want to manage a team. And then they get a little taste of that. And they say, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that looks different than I thought it, it, right. it should. Um, but I spent a lot of time on trying to map my vision from like, what is the change I want to see? Um, and, you know, thinking about roles, Matt, I've spent a lot of time over the past couple of years, like intentionally putting data to how I spend my time. Um, my team has always tracked their time, not because we actually care about track time, but see data and trends and understand how long things take. Because as humans, we all have right. bias. Right. And I had bias where I thought some things I do really efficiently, and I didn't. And then I thought there are some things that right. always take me so long. And actually, I'm pretty quick at them, but I didn't like them. So what was that about? Or there were certain themes of, oh, those are always the things I do in my evenings and weekends. I don't want to work evenings and weekends anymore. Is that the thing to give up? And it gave me some confidence in knowing um, where in the past I might have been like, was well, that really big enough to be a job? Is that really big enough to hire for? And then you start to map it and you say, oh, it is. And there's so many things I'm leaving on the back burner that should be a part of that, but I never have time for, right? because there are limitations to being small. It's like um, working in person versus working remote. Like there is no perfect answer. There are trade-offs on all sides. There are pros and cons. And anyone who would say otherwise, I would challenge them to that statement. But you just have to know what are you optimizing for? So, you know, this is not quite the question you asked, but in a similar vein, I asked the team middle of last year, we'd hired a, a few people and I was getting some questions around like, hey, is this the speed we're gonna be hiring at? Um, and there were some uh, more specific questions around what size do we want to be? And I said, well, where is this question coming from? Why, why are we so hung up on a number? Like if I say 21 people, if I say 25 people, if I say a bigger number, how does that create right. a certain perception in somebody's head? And I realized that people were reacting not to a fear of change, but a fear of loss. And so the question then became, what are we afraid of losing? And what does small mean to us? Like what is special about being the size we are? And so that as we grow, as we evolve, as we add new teammates who have more specific roles, what must we protect, right? And so if we think about core values of empowerment and autonomy um, and ownership, like something that's really important to our team is making sure, hey, if we add new uh, people with individualized ownership, if we add new layers of titles, how does that affect my role? Does that change what I'm empowered to make decisions on, right? And so we have to be really intentional about making sure the answer to that question is no, and making sure that people still feel like they can weigh in on things. They can make change to process and practice. They can um, help shape where the ship is going, pirate analogy, and what, what we do next and help be a part of charting that course. Um, so, you know, as we've added new teammates, it definitely comes from a lot of exactly what you did. And that's so exciting that you did that for your team is thinking through like, what's all on Shelby's plate today? What does she love? What is she so energized by? Fills her cup. What does she hate? What is she really good at? Who else on the team might be good at that? Because sometimes when you add a new role, it's not just taking part of what's on Shelby's plate. It might be taking a part of what's on a few people's plates because there's a theme here, right? Um, and that's been really key for us in figuring out what's the right role at what time. But it's all a little bit of Tetris. 
So it's not a perfect equation. And we know that right. we're constantly figuring it out. Um, but so long as you give yourself the freedom to change, to revert, to practice uh, making this perfect, you'll figure it out. You'll get there. Right. I think uh, Tetris is a really <laughs> great way of looking at it. That's how it feels most days. Um, but yeah, then I, I, for me, I have these, these things where I'm like, okay, again, looking at this little org chart, I'm like, all right, here are the different things that I need to kind of take off people's plates. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, I could totally fill that up with one full-time person if they could just do marketing, <laughs> HR. <laughs> and like, yeah. but it's like, but then it's like, okay, well, now you're asking one person to do five different things <laughs> that are completely unrelated. And that's kind of more of the same problem that mm-hmm. you currently have, you know? Um, but anyway, I guess uh, you said something early on that I'd love to kind of talk a little bit more about. You talk about kind of somebody's employment journey. Mm-hmm. Can you describe what that is and how you go about um, understanding that with an individual? 100%. Yeah. So when I think about employment journey, I mean every micro touch point and experience they have with your company. Um, so if I'm recruiting somebody, how they hear about me, what they perceive about Zoco, who they meet with along the process. Do we send them any information? How long are these meetings? Um, Who do they meet with when? Um, What sort of questions do we ask? How do we make sure they can really get a taste and experience of our team? Then what does the offer process look like? How do we make sure that that is serving their needs, answering their questions? Um, what does the process look like between saying yes and starting on the team? Can we kickstart some of that, get them engaged, invite them to a happy hour? Their first week, what does that look like? How do we make sure things are set up um, well for them, that there's the right amount of documentation, the right amount of sharing and historical context setting so that they're not coming in so fresh? Um, like there's all these micro moments. And if you think about everything they do, it's very similar to you think about like guiding somebody through a product, right? If we're designing Um, some subscription service and you want to think about what's onboarding look like, what's setting up a profile look like, what's data tracking and using the app day-to-day look like. You're doing that, but in an experience setting of being a teammate. And what's cool, if you can start to think that way, Matt, um, you know, you'd said earlier, like, I don't have time to take on these other things. But if you could take that context and shift it to how do I apply that mindset to things I'm doing anyway, it's not extra time. It's just thinking about how do I do what I'm already doing differently? How do I reorganize it? How do I ask questions differently? What is the smallest step I can take to start to improve upon this? Um, I think like, you know, if you care a lot about your work, sometimes you're a perfectionist and then you never get anything done because you think it's got to be this big, grand, holy grail of a change. Like let us revisit our entire employment practice and our entire recruiting journey it's so hard to take that all on as one giant step because there's a lot there. But if you think, okay, I have an offer call in two hours, I'm going to offer Matt a role at Zoco. How do, how have I done this in the past and what has worked? What is he thinking and feeling? What might I do differently to serve what he's thinking and feeling? I wonder if I do it in this order. I wonder if I ask him this question. I wonder if I test that out and see if he reacts differently what if I ask for his feedback on that? Like, how do I do that in a way that feels authentic and not weird? You know, like if you start asking yourselves these questions because you're preparing to give that offer call anyway, then you start to learn from that because you're doing it with a different frame of mind and a different context. 
And so we really challenge our team to think about that through all moments of their journey. And again, we're not perfect. We're constantly evaluating and improving. Um, but it's really cool. Like we actually talk about UX maturity and like UX process a lot for our clients. Um, and we're giving a, a talk on that for, for a IXDA event in, in a couple of weeks. And it was neat. We were talking about like, what does that look like? And one of our client engagement team members who joined just a month ago, who's, who's not a UXer by background, but she said that she could see where we've been really intentional in building a better candidate experience, a better new teammate experience, and what specifically that looked like. She said, I could see your UX process at work in this journey. And for her to not even be a UXer and to be able to see that, that's really cool for us. Um, and so I think like, how do you apply thinking about those micro moments somebody experiences at every point interacting with Made by Things, interacting with Zoco um, to actually craft a better experience because you're already doing those things. Right. I, to me, I, like, I don't know, it 100% resonates with me because I'm, I don't know, I, I love data. I love to be able to make decisions mathematically. Um, I like to try to remove emotion from those things, but like, to me, that's what I always, another thing I find fascinating about you is that you are, you're constantly looking for data, whether it's qualitative, quantitative, it doesn't yeah. matter, but just like any kind of data you can get from something, it's like a worst case scenario, this thing doesn't work, but at least I got some data from it. Like, <laughs> and I think that's like an amazing way to sort of look at that. Um, I, I, I guess, again, want to take another kind of step back and speak a little bit more towards... Um, I don't know, remembering maybe maybe this is 2012, maybe early 2013 for you. But um, what advice do you give to somebody that maybe is freelance right now? And they're like, I, I think I want to have a team. I love it. So this actually, the answer to that question was abundantly clear for me. Um, and I don't know why, maybe because I have a meditation practice, I spend more time like weeding through my own thoughts than maybe is normal. Um, mm -hmm. But I think spend a lot of time on knowing why you want to do that. Like ask yourself questions for why do I want a team? What do I hope to achieve from having a team that I wouldn't achieve as an individual? What am I motivated by? What would I trade on to get to that, right? So like, um, if you think about like, let's say you're evaluating a job offer. Typically, people will make a pro-cons list of all the things that they care about. These are really strong. I want to have these. These are the things that I don't like. The reality is, though, Matt, that like, let's say that there's a list of five things that I want and that I must have in this new job offer, this new experience. Typically, there's actually one or two that are kind of non-negotiables. The other ones people will trade on in order to get to those one or two. The hard part is most people don't actually know what the, they are. They don't know how they stack rank these against each other. Um, but if you do, it starts to become really clear how you should act based on those things. What would you trade on? What are you motivated by? And so for me, I learned early on, um, I was freelancing as a designer prior to starting Zoco. I started Zoco because I saw a different way to do things. I wanted to build a studio um, that was very human centric in that we wanted to integrate research and product practices really tightly, make sure we had a, a T-shaped team who wanted to bring the voice of the customer to every conversation, who wanted to really understand human experience outside of technology to make technology better. 
Um, and that was the core thesis for how we started. But I could have done that as a consultant. I could have done that as an individual, as a freelancer. But I know I am very motivated by collaboration, by learning from and with others, um, by being able to have other perspectives when we're testing and learning on what works. Um, I'm very motivated by that. Whereas if I was more motivated by complete autonomy, I want nobody else's decision making on this. I just want it to be my call. Then maybe I wouldn't have built a team, right? I also had a hunch early on, even though it pains me to say it, that I didn't want to be a designer forever, that I didn't actually want to be the one creating the experiences and that I, um, while I was super energized by the possibility and the potential of what this thing could be, I didn't necessarily want to be in the weeds and making it happen. Um, and like, how do I work? How do I like shift between decision-making? What part of a project is really energizing to me and what parts do I hate? So I was using that as a lens for um, deciding how to build and structure a team and how we've grown that team. So I think like just asking yourself a lot of questions around what does success look like? If I build a team, like what could that be? What am I actually motivated by? What would I trade on to get to that vision versus what are my non-negotiables? Like that will help you decide because the other reality is there's no right answer. Um, I think back to your earlier question or earlier comment around like, hey, is it's easy to get really focused on the dollars and the cents and the efficiencies and all of that as a business owner because they're important. I also think that they're what media and storytelling push you to optimize for, right? It's you get awards based on scale, you get awards based on notoriety, you get accolades and likes and engagements for certain things and not for others. Um, and so you're almost incentivized in a way to grow, 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 to do these things. But if you start to realize, oh, I'm actually not energized by that milestone. We met it and I don't really care, but I care right. about this other thing that helps right. you then determine like what's the right thing for you versus what's right for Matt or Lacey or Shelby. They're not all the same thing. Um, and so surrounding yourself by other people who really get that and who really want to be a part of the same motivations, I think is so important. Right. I, I want to ask you a little bit more about the, I don't want to be a designer for everything, <laughs> but uh, first let me, let me flip that question. Uh, and let's say it is somebody that's 10 years into their business. Uh, let's say they have, a, let's say 21 person team, <laughs> and then they realize I don't want this. Mm -hmm. This is not, uh, this is, this, this is not, it's not working. It's not making me happy. I don't want this. Mm -hmm. What do you say to that person? I would say, well, what do you want? And what are the pains of now that make you say, I don't want this? Uh, I think anyone who's ever been a founder <laughs> has had that moment at some point where they're like, is this <laughs> what I want? Right. And in 2020, everyone in the world had a midlife crisis right. all at once, right? Let's be honest. It's not just like <laughs> the workforce. Mm -hmm. It's everyone had a midlife crisis. Um, right. But it's what is it about that? And what would have to change for you to say hell yes instead of hell no? And I think that then puts a lot more of the power in your control versus feeling like this is happening to me. I feel helpless. I can't do anything about it. So I'm going to opt out, right? Like I think um, if you could start to paint a picture of like well, what must change in order for you to be energized, in order for you to want to stay a designer, in order for you to do these things. It becomes a much more easy challenge or much more, much more 
accomplishable, right? Because it doesn't feel like you're boiling the ocean. It's this small thing. Um, and so there have been seasons where my work-life balance is out of whack. I am uh, working whenever my kids are sleeping in addition to normal work hours. I have three little ones. Um, but then you start to think, okay, well, how do I dis- dissect that problem? How do I put some data to it and know what's causing me to work these odd hours? Is it my own crazy? Is it saying yes to things I shouldn't have said yes to? Okay, let's uh, put a different process in place for how I evaluate if I say yes to something. Is it that I am doing a job that should belong to somebody else? Well, why am I doing that? Is it because the other person isn't capable? Is it because I'm taking it over for them? Or is it because that's a role that doesn't exist yet? And how must we, we grow in order to get to being able to support that role? And so like, there's all these other questions um, that come from that to figure out like, what does success look like? What would make me happy staying in this role? Because life's too short to do work you hate with people you hate. Uh, <laughs> and so you just can't have that, right? Um, and I think those would be the sort of questions I would ask myself if I was in such a position. But luckily, I am quite abundantly happy. <laughs> That's great. So uh, <clears throat> one of the things that we have talked about, yeah, I don't know, this has been something that we've probably talked about at least once every time we've talked over the last seven years. Yeah. Um, it's been a question that that I've always asked because it's something that always concerned me the most, you know, as somebody that, um, you know, with school for animation, yeah, I, I knew that I wanted to create, mm-hmm. I wanted to make things move. I wanted to draw. I wanted, I don't know. I didn't, that's all I really ever wanted was just to be able to make stuff mm-hmm. at the same time. I always loved the idea of business. Right. So I knew that at some point or another, I would have to face this thing of, okay, if I want to have a team and want to build a business, will I have to choose between managing that business and working in that business? And um, so that's something I always ask you is like, okay, don't you like, don't you miss like being able to like design things? Like, are you, are you happy doing this stuff? And I think over the years, I think I've gotten different answers from you almost every time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um but I'm, I'm curious where you're where you're at right now how do you yeah uh how do you feel about that yeah again it all comes down to core motivations right and what you are most energized by um I think that the times where I felt the most questioning of being a design dinosaur which is what I would call myself now at this point um, are really about like a bit of an identity crisis, right? A feeling like this is part of who I am. I right. don't want to lose the ability to do that. And my team uh, knows that I am not nearly as adept in Figma as they are. I am not nearly as adept at analyzing the design right. system as, you know, all the different parts and pieces of work that they do. But I think I'm still a really strong design thinker. And I've realized that I am energized by that. And I apply that in everything I do. I apply that not just to projects and client works. I apply it to conversations. I apply it to operations. I apply it to, well, how do we test out something new? Well, should we hire a marketing manager for the first time? What will that yield for us? Um, I like that process for problem solving and ideation and experimentation. um, And I don't want to lose that. And so I still get to apply that in my work. Now I do get super energized, geeked out about the dope shit my team makes. 
And so I want to still be there as a cheerleader. Um, but I have realized I'm okay right. not being the one that's capable of making that happen because I'm not necessarily in love with the process of making it happen. I love the beginning and the strategy and thinking through what could be done. And I freaking love the end output. I don't always love the messy middle. Um, right. And so coming to that realization and knowing I have teammates who do love that part of the process, well, heck, why not let them shine where they shine? And carry that torch and figure out solving right. that problem and getting it to a great end output. Um, so, you know, if I could say, like, if I could snap my fingers and you can grant me the power to be the best illustrator in the world, would I accept that gift? I would accept it. <laughs> but I don't know that I would necessarily <laughs> want to leverage it through work. Um, yeah, I, I don't mm -hmm. know. It's just like, again, understanding, like, what parts of the work are motivated, motivating to you, and then where and how is appropriate to scratch that itch? Like, do you need to be the one doing it to still feel really fulfilled by what is happening around you? Right. And that that's what I have found very interesting about myself as well is at a certain point, I just decided, you know what, let's just hire people. And let's see what happens. Yeah. You could uh, always refer. I'm thinking about it. I just want to know now. Like, right. Exactly. I guess that's the thing. Um, and for me, I, it, it was interesting. It was, I, like you said there, it's like you're, you don't lose this ability to think like that. You just are able to use that thinking in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, like, I don't know. For me at, at this point, I don't think I've opened up a 3D software. I mean, to actually really do something it's been at least six months or so yeah. and it's really weird because I used to be every single day for eight to ten hours yeah. that's what I was doing right and on the weekends a lot too <laughs> but um it's weird but it also I have this ability to be able to see what somebody else is doing and be like oh that's cool mm -hmm. but why don't we try this and I, as of right now I still know the settings and everything but every year that application changes right. and I slowly see myself losing it a little bit and it doesn't affect me nearly as much as I was expecting it to. Yeah. Like whenever someone's like, Oh no, there's just this button now that does this thing. I'm like, okay, that's pretty cool. I wish I had that, but <laughs> <laughs> that's great. You do. Um, I'm just like, oh, yeah, use that and make something yeah. cool. Absolutely. So I, for me, I, I, I have found it to be fulfilling in just different ways yeah. altogether. Um, where it's, it's, it's not the same, but it can still be yeah. fulfilling. And, you know, there are the days where I'm like, you know what, I'm going to open up procreate in the iPad. I'm just going to draw while the kids fall asleep. Mm -hmm. So it's like, whenever I do make stuff at this point, it's generally incredibly personal or, um, just me messing around. Like I used to when I was a kid and like, mm -hmm. to me, like that was that was whenever I was at my peak happiness mm -hmm. when it came to creating was when I was a kid, so you know? Fun. So it's like, I don't know. I love that. Yeah. Um, anyway, let's do, let's do some, uh, some quick final thoughts here. I know we're, we're kind of at time here, but um, Shelby, is there anything that you want to add? Any, any final thoughts on this? You have a different perspective yeah, here. I'm just but... over here. Um, no, I, I think it's really interesting. And I think kind of going off of that conversation that we were just having, um, I'm also creative, but I work within a producer role. And a lot of it has been kind of that separation of I, I really want to advocate for creatives and I want to lift them up and I want to make sure that they feel that they have a space where they can be as creative as they need to be. 
Um, but I like being able to afterwards, you know, after work, after you clock out, this is my time to do my mm -hmm. own creative work and being able to kind of separate those two, those two lives. So I really appreciate um, kind of hearing that other understanding of that as well. Also, I, I like um, that you mentioned the kind of the buzzword right now of quiet <laughs> quitting and um, kind of a different perspective on that, because I think that what we're hearing a lot in the media is kind of blaming a lot of a lot of our workers for their quiet quitting and, and their discomfort within their, their workplaces and kind of being able to create environments where people feel comfortable and where values align is, is so important and is something that's really being overlooked. Um, I've also heard the term as of late, the pushback to that of acting your wage mm -hmm. has been, has been really interesting. Um, but yeah, no, I, I really appreciated that. I did that totally. When I worked at, that, a, that when I worked at a grocery store when I was like 13, I was definitely acting my way. Oh my gosh. Like five bucks wait. an hour? Great. I'll get one cart at a time. <laughs> oh and, no, uh, Matt. <laughs> no, I think to your point, Shelby, like I think, no, I was, I, I, just to yeah. add to that, um, I think one of the biggest things that I've just learned from a human behavior standpoint is like people want to be seen, heard, and loved. They want to feel valued. They want to feel like their work is important. They want to feel like they have some control and autonomy over what's happening and what they're doing and what they're a part of. And so, you know, like I wouldn't say, I don't know that I would say all quiet quitting is the fault of the employer, or the team or the culture or the work or the whatever, but you have to evaluate that, right? Like if that, if that person doesn't feel like they're seen, they don't feel like they're heard. If they don't feel like they're loved and they're important and they're valued, why would they give it their all and, and show up for you and give 110%? Um, and so it's just complicated, right? Figuring out what motivates people and how they make the decisions they do and how to influence that behavior. But to your point, I think it's so important to think about, okay, well, what's then within my control as an employer? I can create the best culture that I can. I can create the best experience I can. I can make sure that my team feels valued. And if I'm doing everything I can and it's still not enough, well, then that's a different question. But before you blame the teammate, right. are you doing everything you can? Right. Uh, on that note, uh, Lacey, is there any other final thoughts you have on this on this topic? Oh, no. I just love always geeking out with you about this. Um, it's funny, like being <laughs> in a UX business because we primarily are designing software, designing digital experiences. But I definitely geek out about the experience of my team above everything else. Um, it's the same principles. It's the same um, sort of thought processes and mindset just for a different application. But it's one of the things I love most. So I'm glad these are the questions you wanted to ask me. Sure. No, I, again, I feel like you've always been a little ahead of your time <laughs> um, when it comes to kind of how, how you think about your team and how you go about trying to develop that kind of experience for, for people. Thank you. And, uh, yeah. Um, so my, my final thoughts, <clears throat> let's see. Uh, I wrote a lot of stuff down. I'm not going to go through all of it, <laughs> but, uh, building a team is, it's difficult. There's a lot of things internally and externally that you're trying to understand and trying to do, but I think you said it best, Lacey, where it's, it's trial and error. I, yeah, there's books that you can read that will certainly give you some helpful hints, but I, this is one of those areas that I think that you kind of just have to do and 
figure it out, figure out the best way for you, your personality, the culture that you want to build. Um, again, I, I think there's some some general principles that you should kind of look at, but at the same time, I don't know. I don't think there's any necessarily one way or one size fits all kind of solution for that. And um, I don't know. I I think it, it can definitely get to a point where you're afraid to even hire people. Uh, afraid to just make decisions. It's that indecision paralysis kind of thing. Um, and yeah, again, I, I was very close to that. But at a certain point, I was like, you know what? We're just going to do it and see what happens. And I, I always tell people, like, that was the second scariest moment of building a place to work, basically, is just that day when you hire that first person. Because uh, things things are different. The first well, scariest that being point, quitting Matt, the like just to add, and trying to do add a little yourself, nugget, so. <laughs> a big piece of advice but, I got several um, years ago cool. from All right, a mentor well, of mine. Um, like if you think ahead. about most decisions you yeah. make as experiments, almost everything you do in life can be reverted. Not literally everything, but most things can be reverted. And so if you are afraid of doing something and you're thinking, oh, the worst mm -hmm. that can happen is the business falls right. apart. The worst that can happen is I'm going to quit. The worst that can happen is this. Well, if you don't try at all, isn't that what you're doing, right? So if you're saying, oh, I don't know if I want to start this because maybe it'll fail. Well, it's definitely going to fail if you don't even do it, right? So like test that right. thing, try it out. Or if you say, oh, I'm just so frustrated leading all these roles within the company, like it sounds like you were, right. and the only opportunity I see to fix it is to hire somebody. Well, if the opposite outcome is the company might shut down, you might give up that's way worse than the failure that may happen from hiring somebody and then deciding, oh, actually, I really love being the creative director forever right. and there's nothing wrong with that, right. so I'm going to go back to that, right? And so I think if you can, like, free yourself up from the fear of what might be, um, it makes things so much easier. Right. For sure. I love it. That's a great way to end this. Uh, Lacey, thank you so much for, for joining us. Um, as always, uh, <laughs> appreciate your time and, uh, and the knowledge. I feel like I got a free coaching call out of this. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's all I got. And, Thanks, uh, guys. everybody else, thank you for listening and love you. Bye. The Comanzi show is created by made by things. And if you have a question you would like us to discuss, you can send a message at cmdz.show. And if you like what you hear, leave a review. We'll see you next week with a brand new show.